When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Hey everyone, welcome into the Mackie and Judd Show. And before we dive in, Action Movie Rewind Friday, Judd's keys to a Vikings victory. A quick reminder that Vikings Ventline makes its return to score north on Sunday, right after the Vikings-Packers game is over. But a, a change to the previous format for the last eight years or so. It will be a video-centric show that you can find live on score north Twitter and Facebook and also YouTube.com slash Purple Daily Podcast. And if you want to join the show, we've already had a few people uh, line up for this. If you want to join the show, send us an email at vikingsventline at gmail.com, and we'll bring you into the video chat. Now, we haven't really tested this out yet outside of our own confines, so it could train wreck, but all the more reason to hang out with us and watch Vikings Ventline, Score North, Twitter and Facebook, and YouTube.com slash Purple Daily Podcast on Sunday. Coach does a great job. You know, he's been doing a long time in this league, and uh, he's got some good people to do it with, so... We got our work cut out for us, but, uh, you know, we've been working, uh, putting in a lot of work for this game. Obviously, no preseason game, so I know the guys are excited to go cut it loose, see where we're at. So, everybody looking forward to it. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. And welcome into the show. Recording it on a Friday, two days before Vikings and Packers. And real quick, before we dive into an oldie but a goodie segment that we're bringing back for the first time in two years, an action movie rewind, a quick shout out to Federated Mutual Insurance Company. Federated has been helping business owners in the state of Minnesota for over 100 years, based in Owatonna, Minnesota. They're one of us. And uh, I've been a business owner in my life, and I can understand the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs, and even during non-pandemic years, just how important it is to have an insurance company that you feel confident standing with. And uh, Federated provides that. Federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. And remember, at Federated Insurance, it's our business to protect yours. We had football last night, boys. A little football action. Football. football. You know what? Last night. I'm, football. So, I'm so glad it's back. I'm willing to look past any and all blemishes, too. <laughs> I'm just glad to have sports back and football back, and they're playing. And it fe- it does feel weird. I-, I think it feels weird because of the predicament that we're in as a country and also because of the fact that there were no preseason games and training camps really didn't have much anticipation or excitement. Uh, all of that being said, I was more than happy. I was act. I'll go as far as thrilled to sit down and watch the Texans and the Chiefs 
And our blockhead, Bill O'Brien, oh, still man. a blockhead. Oh, he's down by like 21. He's just pounding the rock. He is. He's you know, just you pounding do, you, you, the ball. you got to establish the run. you <laughs> got, I mean, got to establish the run. You're on the road. There's 17,000 fans in that stadium. <laughs> Never has it been easier to have Deshaun Watson pass. I believe that, that they're... Um, one of their uh, big free agent acquisitions, Randall Cobb, if I'm not mistaken, I think he had like one target. Also, like, like why, why do you is, sign why, Randall Cobb to give him one target? Well, like, why is Randall like, Cobb yeah. your big free agent acquisition? Like, because you traded DeAndre design. Hopkins. That's my point. Exactly. And David Johnson, poor David Johnson. It's hilarious. Yeah, Randall Cobb and David Johnson. Bill O'Brien is the guy in your fantasy football league that has the cheat sheet from six years ago. You ever, mm-hmm. you ever in a fantasy league? Actually, I think. There was a year Jeb was in our Hubbard TV fantasy league here one year, and uh, that was like that was a while ago. But one of the years, there was a guy that literally like we had to stop the draft at one point and be like, "Dude, are you are you sure?" Like he's like <laughs> he yeah, drafted yeah, like Larry Fitzgerald with the number two overall pick like two years ago. Like ah, that's Bill O'Brien, David Johnson used to be amazing. Yeah, I'll, I'll take him. So um, we used to do a segment for a couple of years uh, on the old fifteen hundred ESPN called Judd's Keys to a Vikings Victory. Keys got a little haughty. Keys wanted his own writing team for headlines, mm. and uh, and I feel like Keys. Well, he went to treatment too. Yeah, Keys. Yeah, oh, he wow. definitely spent thirty days in treatment. Oh, was, Keys had a major. Pro- we could. We had to go to bars to find him. It was bad. Seven a.m. on Fridays. So we, we haven't seen Judd's Keys in at least a couple of years. We certainly didn't see him last season. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I think it's been three years since we've seen Judd's Keys. And Keys is, you know what, dried out. It's it's a great story. So how's Keys doing? And and is has Keys uh, come around enough in his life to accept the new responsibility here on the Mackie and Judd show of providing well, keys to a Vikings victory every Friday? Keys is not going to lie; he's found quarantine to be very difficult. Keys mm-hmm. is a people person; he's a people pleaser. Okay, sure. And that's the part. That's the problem with Keys. Uh, but Keys has found happiness. He has found he has found a sanctuary in football, of course, and grinding tape. And so Keys is here to deliver, which he did to me, of course. Not one, not two, but three, but five keys. Dex, do you have actual keys? Can you do the actual? Yeah. Can you? Because like technically, I'm I'm here flying the plane, and I'd love yeah. to play some football music for keys, but then okay. I also then can't play the keys sound. But so if you want to do live keys between the Judd's keys, there yeah. you go. All right, all right, we'll lock a rattle them. So keys, yeah. we used to have five keys to victory. What where's keys at stamina wise now? Is, no, he's five. No, he came with five. He yeah, he shocked five? me. I I thought he'd do two or three. He came with five. I'll have you know, just just for the record, if keys oh. wakes up on a Friday, you know, and it's a Jacksonville game, and and he only has three keys to a victory, I'm okay with that. We just want yeah. Keys to show up. It on might a be a Jack basis. Daniels game. That might be, be the problem. But I mean, he's in good shape. Okay. These days. Well, Sounds like Keys has been hanging out with Stella too much there, Judd. Everything okay there? There we go. There we go. All right. Well, yes, I'm, I'm going to do the honors here. Drinking wine. Five keys. Judd Zolgad's five keys to a Vikings victory over the Packers this Sunday. Key number one. Are we doing key number five or key number one? Oh, let's do key one. Key let's n- go one. Key one through five because they're all paramount to a potential Vikings victory over the hated arch rival NFC North Division foe, former NFC Central Packers. Okay. Key number one. You'll recall that Keys has what we call pithy headlines. And he still does. Opportunity knocks? That's right. At left defensive end, opportunity is going to be knocking for Jalen Holmes, Ryan Yarborough, or Ofedi Edenabo. Is that correct? Declan yes, Goff? Yes. Did yes. I say Fenny it right? I, yes, you did. I've got... Unique Ngakwe, I've got down. 
Odenabo, I'm still a little bit suspect on. But anyway, opportunity knocks. And the question is, who grabs that job? Because Daniil Hunter's out for at least three games. I think he's out for more than three games. Uh, but you're going to have an op- a chance now for somebody to take that job and absolutely grab it and absolutely put pressure starting Sunday on Aaron Rodgers. But then after that, it's going to be Mackey's guy, Phillip Rivers. Yeah. And then after that, it's going to be Tannehill. And um, look... That left defensive end job now, wide open, and it is of huge importance that somebody from that end, assuming Ngakwe is going to stay on the right end, uh, can apply pressure on opposing quarterbacks going against right tackles who you know traditionally aren't as good, as savvy as left tackles. So that's key one, the opportunity that is going to present itself in the first quarter starting on Sunday. Let's not sleep on Adenabo. He's, he's a very one-dimensional player in that he rushes the passer. But he's very good, statistically at least, last year at that one dimension. He got home a very high percentage of the time. Seven or eight sacks. Seven sacks? In like, I don't know, a third of the snaps of most starting defensive ends. And so um, I don't think he's a guy that you're going to put out there for eight or 900 snaps. And just like, Daniil Hunter, you're going to play every snap. That's not Odenabo. But when it comes to like third down and seven... There's worse guys you could put out there than Odenabo. So I'm I'm, oh, yeah. uh, I'm hoping that Odenabo takes advantage of the, at least the pass rushing opportunity. Key number two. Hold on a second here. I'm getting them as we speak from Keys. He's passing them to me. Keys, it's great to see you again. And you're looking so good. <laughs> oh, I like it. Guarded optimism. Wow. That's right. Wow. Pat Elfline, awful at the left guard. Just gets shuffled to right guard like that's going to fix him. Dakota Dozier, who got a few starts in the absence, I believe Josh Klein had some concussion issues last year. He had some injury problems, so he missed some games. So Dakota, Dakota Dozier, I think, was starting, I think had some starts at right guard as well, but he's going to be playing left guard. But let me caution, guarded optimism is wise. Because what are they going to get here? And, and this becomes absolutely important because uh, combined with the play in his second year of uh, 2019 first-round pick Garrett Bradbury, Nose tackles now and defensive tackles can rush quarterbacks. Like, you're going to play teams where they've got guys inside defensively who are damn good. It's not uh, 1998 where that was a fat man's job just to stop the run. So you need to be guarded in your optimism because there's a chance this is not going to go well. And if it doesn't, it's the Vikings' fault. Nonetheless... That's key too. The good well, two things. Number one, Declan loves keys. This is Declan's. Looks like Declan's first experience with Judd's keys here, and he's, lo- he's loving the headlines. I love it. Um, but I would say uh, the good news for the guard position is if if one or two guys don't work out early on, they've got like six guys they can cycle through until you deem it a completely failed position. <laughs> <laughs> so like. <laughs> So even, right. like, even if this week it's like, whoa, uh, neither one of those guys is going to work. It's like, oh, well, let's just let's bring the next. Where's Drew Samia? Let's bring the next couple guys in and see what happens. Yeah, so. my Mr. Mankato pick. Where the hell is Drew Samia at? Yeah. Uh, he, he's uh, on the depth chart, but like Phil yeah, said, he's toward the I'm back the of it. Chart. Yeah, yeah, good point. All right, key number three All to right, a Vikings win over the Packers. Oh, oh, I like this one, too. Hard pass. Aaron Rodgers, man, <laughs> going against these corners. Mike Hughes, Holton Hill, Gladney, potentially Dantzler. We, we don't yet know what the Vikings' defense is going to look like in the nickel package. They'll, they'll have to play it a lot. But I guess the question is, 
So Hugh, I think Hughes and Hill are, are certain to start outside in the base defense. But then when they go to the nickel, are they going to put Hughes inside and bring in Gladney? Are they going to bring in Dantzler or Gladney and have them play inside and Hughes stay outside? I don't know yet. I do know this. We all remember the game at, um, it wasn't at uh, U.S. Bank Stadium, TCF Bank Stadium. Josh Robinson has a football flying by his ear hole, right? Yeah, yep. And he turns around and looks at Aaron, and the ball is in the hands in the end zone of Jordy Nelson, okay? Yep. Aaron Rodgers isn't that guy, but he can exploit guys who have no experience, basically, and are green. No pun intended there. And if that's the case, look, you might want to take a hard pass on what the Vikings cornerbacks are going to do on Sunday. This one has to concern you at least a little bit. I will say that the puns are always intended during Judd's keys to a Vikings victory. Mm-hmm. Well, I ad-libbed that, and Keys gets mad okay. because he, he wants the puns. Credit. That's fair. Right. Like, I don't okay. want to go south here with Keys in week one, okay? That's fair. It's been a long road back. And, like, and, and, you know, and yes, Aaron Rodgers is not the same guy he was five years ago, but Aaron Rodgers is still a guy and, and is still one of the top talents in the NFL and I think can sniff out who the weak link at cornerback is. Like, Eric Eager, our friend from Pro Football Focus, always says it. When it comes to NFL defenses, it's a, it's a weak link operation in that Mm -hmm. if you've got 10 awesome guys but josh robinson is out there on an island guys like aaron Rodgers will find the weak link and will expose that player for 100 plus yards and a terrible passer rating against so um, i agree i think it's not enough for just like mike hughes to figure it out there's got to be multiple guys in that secondary that figure it out probably quickly or quarterbacks like rogers and russell wilson in a month we're going to carve you. All right, key number four to a Vikings victory. All right, hold on a second here. Thank you very much, Keys. Key number four, it's a gut ache. That's right, up the middle with the defensive tackles. Dex guy, Aaron Jones, last I checked, yeah. is damn good. Jalil Johnson, Jalil Johnson has been a rotational backup for Zim since he was drafted out of Iowa a few years back. And I liked him a lot initially, but he clearly did not live up to what they were hoping by this point, or he, he would have played more in 2019, which he did not. Shamar Stefan, I think, is a solid backup type, type of player, but he's now being shifted into Michael Pierce's nose tackle spot. He was going to be the three technique. Uh, Jalil Johnson now is going to be the three tech. And let's keep in mind, too, okay? Jalil Johnson, I think we can all say, probably has not lived up to what the Vikings thought. The three-tech is a spot that's been held by guys like Sheldon Richardson, Kevin Williams for how long? I'm talking about really good Vikings players. Yeah. And now it's sort of like, we'll play Jalil Johnson. And and don't forget, last year, in their 23-10 to win around Christmas time at U.S. Bank Stadium, the Packers rushed for 184 yards, and Aaron Jones had 154 yards on 23 carries, two touchdowns, and a 56-yard TD run. Yeah. And that was against the Vikings' 2019 defense, which I would put up against this defense right now any day. That could be a gut ache for the Vikings in that A-gap. Okay, gut. so actually, let me let me take your, your gut ache and then the cornerback discussion to blend them into one. Something we haven't really talked a lot about like since he's been gone, the addition of subtraction of Xavier Rhodes. And I say that with all due respect because he's one of the greatest cornerbacks in Vikings history, but like let's be honest, he was a complete disaster last year. Is like we we you know we're, we're so consternated with like rookie cornerbacks and this Okay, well, Xavier Rhodes was a tree stump. Like it was like they had 10 guys on defense and a sack of rocks out there. Mm-hmm. And if he's just not out there, 
is that an advantage for the Vikings compared to 2019's defense? And I, I guess question in week one for me is this. Is that an upgrade, though? Like it's, it's just it's, not having him on the field. Well, right. I think because it is. you're going to have a guy on the field aside from Hughes with no experience. So, so my thought process is by let's say week four or five, I think Rhodes being gone is definitely a good thing because the player who has replaced him ha- has experience. But if that player is a rookie against Rodgers, that concerns me as much as Xavier Rhodes did in week one. Now, but by the time these two teams play again in Lambeau on November first, that could be very much changed. Yep, that's uh, that's fair. Um, key number five and final key of week one here. Hold Judd's on, keys to a Vikings victory. Let me let me get my key. Key number five. Hold on a second here. Seriously? You do you want this? Okay. <clears throat> Sounds of silence. That's right. No <laughs> fans in U.S. Bank Stadium mean that the Packers and Rodgers don't have to go to a silent count. They don't have to make any alterations at all. There will be, I believe, the league rule is um, noise at 70 decibels, which I heard, which is almost nothing. And so the question becomes, and Zimmer knows that this is a problem, but the question is how big a problem. What's the difference going to be going from a loud U.S. Bank Stadium, which I think, in my opinion, comes close to the Metrodome or is basically on par to a veteran QB being able to operate with no problems from the crowd, which means his left and right tackle can hear all calls. Yes, if, if it's in, a problem. If Ngakwe had, if he had an advantage previously, it was what? The, the left tackle is looking at the football because he's got to see it snap. Yep. And Ngakwe's got the step, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's now gone. He can hear the count. So this is the sounds of silence. Not a good thing for the Vikings. Yeah, the, just the ability, you know, football is such a communication sport. You think about how complicated playbooks can be and how can you simplify the communication to 11 guys from a huddle, sometimes changing plays at the line of scrimmage. And the harder you can make that communication, from, like literally from offensive coordinator to the speakers in a quarterback's helmet, the quarterback having to l- survey the defense and then communicate with 10 seconds on the play clock, we're going to change this. It's way bleeping harder when there's 70,000 people screaming, yelling, and now you have to use hand signals. And so you strip all that away and you give Aaron Rodgers extra time and better communication with his offense. It's a pro- it's definitely a, a thing. Like We'll, I think we'll see how much too. of a thing it is. But I'm with you completely. It's a thing. And there it is. That's, for, that's it from Keys. Thanks, Keys. Wow. Now go home. Judd's Keys. Go, go home and quarantine, Keys. <laughs> None of this crap, okay? We've, we've worked through this. It's been too much work. Yes, Keys gets the standing ovation from the live Good studio keys. audience here. He just left. Way yeah. to go. Those are Judd's keys. Very proud. To a Vikings victory over the Packers. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, it's definitely going to be weird, but... It's I'm, weird, but I'm glad. But I'm so glad it's back. That's the yeah. weird thing. It, uh, it was. They had 17,000 fans inside Arrowhead last night. And it, and if you would have asked me, I would have said, it looks like they have like 5,000 fans in there. Yep. I don't know. Maybe maybe they had seventeen thousand that were like supposed to show up, and only ten thousand showed no, up. No, I think they probably had them spaced out, right? Or did eight thousand attendance? Maybe eight thousand left after they linked arms at the beginning because they were just so turned yeah, off. Don't, by it, but, don't even. Yeah, I know. but um, you know that's not unity there. stinks, man. That's all I know. <laughs> I am anti unity. Yes, <laughs> I I did I did tweet our, our guy uh, Eric from PFF. I told Eager this one. I said, do you track? And he said, no, but it would be fun. Patrick Mahomes' completion percentage 
from arm angle a pass. He's got at least three release points. He he's like a pitcher in baseball, right? Yeah. And I said I said, do you guys go back and track where he is throwing from? Because he literally looks like at times he's throwing sidearm. He's he definitely comes three quarters, and then I'm pretty sure he comes over the top as well. Yeah, it, it, he is, he is so much fun to watch. He is incredible, mm-hmm. and um, it's a it's 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 going to be really fun to watch him chase Tom Brady's rings because I I think he's going to flirt with it. I think he's going to get how yeah, likable is he too? Rings. Like he is I, to me, he's just so likable. Mm-hmm. Um, boys, action movie rewind coming up here in just a couple minutes. But before we uh, dive into a mid nineties classic in Bad Boys, yeah. the twins have taken two days off here. Uh, well, scheduled two days off, I guess. And they're firing up a three-game series at Target Field tonight against the Cleveland Indians. And then they get four games against the Chicago White Sox right after that in Chicago. And so these next seven games, I mean, the Twins are in the playoffs pretty much, but these next seven games will determine what happens in the American League Central to a large degree. So right now the standings are as such. White Sox are a game up on the Twins. Uh, they have a 27-16 and 16 record. Twins are 27-18. and 18. And the Indians, who have now lost three in a row have dropped to 26 and 18 so they are a half game behind the Twins. So you've got a game and a half separating three teams in this division. Uh the Yankees are they finally won a game. They're back ab- above 500 and just clinging to that 8 spot in the uh, in the American League standings, but I want to bring to you guys an amazing statistic that I dug up doing Twins minute on Scorner social media the other day. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I went out on a limb earlier this week and said if Byron Buxton and Josh Donaldson are healthy and playing the rest of the year, I think the Twins win the World Series. Okay. And I put it out on social and, of course, get mocked for being the homer. And, like, now, how can you say that? Like, you know, but what Byron Buxton, first of all, he's never going to stay healthy. And, you know, he's a 220 hitter, this and that. And, like, I won't debate you on the never staying healthy thing. Like, he hasn't stayed healthy. So, obviously, him staying healthy is a huge if. Sure. What isn't a huge if is how the Twins perform when he is on the field. And I knew it was good. I didn't know it was this good. The Twins record... Since the beginning of 2019, when Byron Buxton plays in a game, yep. is 81 and 33. Yeah. 81 and 33. You actually went through this exercise uh, during the course of 2019. I think it was late in the season. It was probably yeah. after he got hurt against the Marlins, and uh, it, it was unbelievable. And they've gained like 12 games to 500 since we read well, that stat last year. Think about You're right, yeah. That is a one, that. That's a 115-win pace over the hey, course of a 162-game season. Just small sample size, but last Saturday against Detroit, they don't win that game without him hitting a routine ground ball to short, beating it out, and Cruz yeah. scoring the winning run. That's they great. don't so so this is not some type of a weird fluky statistic. That statistic holds. Yeah. Like he wins well, think about this one. His first game back against the White Sox, what, a week ago Tuesday or Wednesday? He robs Encarnacion of the home run in left and then knocks in, I think, in the seventh the winning run in that game. So you're, yeah, no, there's no, there's, there's no debating what he means. Dude, he's, and and I get that like some of the stuff he does is just not going to show up in a batting average or not going to show right. up with an RBI total necessarily. But, you know, think about every fly ball he camps under in the gap that might fall in if Jake Cave or, or Max Kepler were playing that position that might right. fall in for a double. Right. Or, uh, or every time he, he, maybe there's a ball that's hit toward the gap and it's a base hit. 
but it rolls to the wall if it's a different center fielder, and that runner, instead of being on second or third, is on first, and now the inning doesn't get out of hand. Like Those little things that we just sort of take for granted, mm-hmm. they add up over the course of a season or a series. And so 81 and 33, a 100, so a 115 and 47 record would, would be, you know, if you extrapolated it over 162 games. Yeah. So he's just flat out one of the more valuable players in baseball. I'm not saying like Mookie Betts is a better player. I'm not saying he's the best player, but, but in terms of the value he brings and the, and the fit for this team and what they need and some of these pitchers that are maybe number three starters that look like number one starters because he's out there patrolling center field, it's a big deal. So. Their priority should, you know, definitely try to beat the Indians and the White Sox. That would be great, but just make sure that he's playing in October when you get there. Although, to your point about that from a couple days ago, Phil, I do, I would like to see the potential matchups because I think you broached the subject and you're probably right. This is sort of going to depend on who you get and can play. Let me pull up the uh, the MLB.com. Like they've got because the you're right. Like if it's one eight and it's the Yankees, do I really want that? I, yes. I say I say bring on the Yankees again. I, Do I really yes. want that? I, I want don't the, care. I, call I want, game one. I want the Yankees every year until the Twins beat them. Like, okay, I don't yes. care. That's that's fine. I'm, I am Kevin Costner asking for more golf balls. I'm, Another one. Another one. Okay. All right. Again. All right. Here's the postseason again. standings. The Oakland A's have actually overtaken the top spot in the. American League right now. A's, Rays, it's hilarious. Like the two low budget teams are the one Ray, right now. The Rays are one of the most remarkable stories in sports. For ten years. No, I know. Years. Yeah, no, yeah. Ongoing. The Minnesota Twins have now because they jumped into the second place in the division, so they've now emerged back up to the four seed in the American League. Okay. So it goes A's, Rays, White Sox, Twins, mm-hmm. Blue Jays, Astros, Indians, Yankees. And the Yankees are just a game and a half, I believe, up on the Orioles. <laughs> And they're a couple games I, up on the Tigers. So the Twins would get who right now? Whom? The, the Twins would get the Blue Jays. Okay. That's probably the, like, if you could hand pick any of these teams, it'd probably be the Blue Jays. Yeah, I'd take them. Like, there's not a pushover take team here, Blue but um, but I would. or The Buffalo Jays, man, they're very good. Honestly, the Yankees are just a mess. Like, the Yankees pitching yeah. is not great. Yeah, I know, but look they're, at who. They're hurt. Yeah, but look at if, if guys are going to come back for that playoff series. I just, look, you're going to, if you're going to have to go through them, that's absolutely fine. I just would prefer not to have to face Garrett Cole in the first round in a best of three. Yeah, well, the Yankees don't want to face Kenta Maeda throwing seven right. innings oh, and yeah. no hit ball every Oh, time we on. saw last fall how concerned the Yankees were about the Twins. <laughs> hey, yeah, you know what? The Josh Buffalo Allison. Blue Jays. The Buffalo Blue Jays. I could see that one. You know, here's one thing, though, and we'll get to action movie rewind. The, you know, the, 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 yes, last year was a supreme disappointment in the postseason, but I can't emphasize enough. The Twins in that series did not have Josh Donaldson. They did not have Byron Buxton. They did not have Mike Pineda. They did not have Kenta Maeda. Like all those dudes, like those are maybe your so those might be your two, two are your like I would say two of your four most valuable position players, and your two best starting pitchers were not in that series last year. So that's that's a game changer. Doesn't mean they're going to beat the Yankees, but I say bring them on, baby. Right. It's until the Twins beat the Yankees, bring, bring them on. All right, bring all right. it. Are right, you guys ready for this? Oh, I'm pumped, man. Declan, uh, Declan originally went with Black Panther, and Judd and I said, yeah, it's tough to make fun of that one, because <laughs> a million reasons. And so yeah. you pivoted. I think it was, and we'll, we'll break it down here. I think it was pretty brilliant choice. Well, I got to be all that. So you know, I'll take me, you, me, and you off the damn cliff. Keep messing with me. Yeah. All right? Then it'll be what? Two bitches in the sea, huh? Is that it? Is that what you want? Shut up, man. Yeah. I'm a bad boy. 
bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? Welcome to the party, pal. Action movie reviews with Mackie, Judd, and Rami. Get to the chopper! Yippee ki mother. Hello. Well, your new neighbor. Don't be alarmed, we're Negroes. Oh, man. Oh, that's too much bass in your voice. That scared white folks. You got to sound like them. They were wondering if we can borrow some brown sugar. You fought? No, man. Digger. Trying to pin something on me. Well, I'm always taking it for you, right? Do it for me. Now, if we get this witness to ID the shooters, maybe we catch our bad guys. But until then, until then... You are Mike Lowry. You be him. That's what you are. You're him. Yeah, I... You're him. I don't want to hear it. You're him. And you, you, you are you. You be you. But not in front of her. You're him. You're you. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome in to Action Movie Rewind Friday here on Mackie and Judd, where we do deep dives into action movies. That's pretty much it. That's what we do. And we've done 23 of them to this point, leading us to the 1995 classic. Will Smith, at the end of his Fresh Prince run, getting into cinematic adventures for the first time. Bad Boys. Will Smith, Martin Lawrence, Taya Leone, and John Sally making an appearance in this movie, if you notice. Right. Playing the nerd computer hacker guy toward the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did. It's kind of funny. I didn't notice that. I, that's right. Yeah, I just like toward the end, he had the yeah, weird glasses on. Yeah, was good. Yep. So this was Declan's choice, and uh, I'll read you the summary here. Mike Lowry and Marcus Burnett are two Miami cops who watch as $100 million in seized mafia heroin from the biggest drug bust of their careers is stolen out of the basement of police headquarters. This puts them hot on the trail of French drug lord Fouché, who leaves a trail of bodies in his wake and only one witness, Julie Mott, who quickly teams up with our heroes. Comic hijinks ensue when plot complications force Mike to impersonate the married Marcus to the point of moving in with his wife and children while Marcus takes over Mike's bachelor pad and lifestyle. 42% 42% on Rotten Tomatoes, a $19 million budget turned into $141 million at the box office. It was. It's worth noting here, it was produced by Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson, who also produced Beverly Hills Cop, Top Gun, The Rock, Con Air, and other huge movies throughout that period. And it was directed by Michael Bay, who also directed The Rock, Armageddon, mm-hmm. Pearl Harbor, and Transformers, the entire Transformers series. So... You had some big, heavy-hitter Hollywood directors and producers trying to uh, carry forward the buddy cop mantra here. So let's start with Judd Zolgad. What was your most memorable part, I guess, of Bad Boys? Well, first of all, Declan Goff, congratulations. Bravo. This was a fantastic Thank you. pick. Um, Thank you. It made amends. Mine, made is amends. Very, mine is incredibly simple, but absolutely key to the assignment. The action. It never ended, which was great. Like that is that is a quick two hour watch. Um, the violence is at the beginning. The violence, basically, I mean, look, mm-hmm. the dialogue is good. The acting is actually very solid. It's good, but, but I mean, it's, it's, it's very yeah. solid. But but to me, what I loved was there was no let's set this up. Like let's have this. They 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 actually got you introduced you to the cops. 
through violence of them, what, being carjacked at the beginning. Yeah. So I just, I love the fact that they did not dilly-dally around and try to be cute and be like, well, we're going to have some, we're going to overwrite some of these scenes and then we're going to, uh, you know, have some action here. No, 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 they got right to it. Um, it didn't always succeed perf- perfectly, but for the but for the genre of what we're trying to get at, I thought it was a just a perfect example of um Miami sun good dialogue some some certainly sexual tension and bang just get right to it <laughs> loved it uh, I loved it Declan what stood out the most to you bad boys uh, I just love the like classic one-liners between everyone in the movie. Obviously, like Martin Lawrence and Will Smith have like their own, but even the other two cops, like the other two slow <laughs> schmo cops and stuff. Like I remember, there was one I wrote down where they like they're passing early in the movie, and he goes, "Man, you're cold." Yes, yeah, so it was your mama's bed. Like it was just like <laughs> there was just hilarious one-liners throughout the entire course of the movie. I'm gonna the, play uh, a clip. Cap- Let me play a clip here. Is it the robbing the gas station one? If I remember right, you have this yeah. one. Wait, hey, freeze, bitch! You freeze, bitch! <laughs> Now back up, put the gun down, and give me a pack of tropical fruit bubblelicious and some Skittles. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. It's so good. So I, I love just the the dialogue, uh, and also Taya Leone, pretty pretty good. Oh, you're in, into Taya Leone? I, I I was a big fan. Was, was she big, was she married to the guy from X Files at this point? That is correct. Oh, you're already jumping to some of my uh, some of my fun <laughs> facts from this movie. I didn't even look at, at the. Uh, she, she was married. Up. Yeah, she was married for like 15 or 20 years to David Duchovny yeah. from the X Files. Right? Yes, great. Call. And she was a big deal back then. Yeah, she was yeah. in some. I mean, like, this she was, was a lot her, of films. This is probably her peak, though, right? I mean, Bad Boys is one of the most. She was in. All, I believe she was in all the Bad Boys movies, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. And there's what three of them? Yes, and the thir- the she... third one just came out earlier this year, right before the pandemic yeah. hit. It came out in like January, so I, I think I'm it got to watch it. It got like six or eight weeks of of run before COVID hit, but it definitely it definitely um, came out. In so January. what's yours, Mackie? Well, I thought this was an amazing movie, and. I think my favorite part about this movie is just like, and I don't mean this in an insulting way. It just proves how formulaic, and it's a great formula, buddy cop movies are from this time period. From like, basically from Beverly Hills Cop to Lethal Weapon, and some have a little bit more comedy, some have a little bit more, uh, you know, like Lethal Weapon's a little bit more violent than Beverly Hills Cop. But but these Beverly Hills Cops, you know, bad boys, buddy cop movies are all just hilariously the same and that... And I like literally wrote out the formula here. You've got the comic relief cop, who's kind of the loosey goosey guy, and that's Will Smith. And then you got kind of the straight man cop, right? Who's kind of funny too, but he's, he's like a family guy. Yes, sir. And Lethal Weapon, it's the same way. Beverly Hills Cop, it's like you got the two straight man kind of white guys, and you got. Uh, and so a lot of times it's a black and a white guy. In this case, it's 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 two black guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got the police chief, who is always mad and yelling at people. That's which that's this guy formula. was. Which, by the way, this guy was great at. Yes, like and he had played a the role in every scene. Yes, at, even at the crime scene. So I'm always taking it for you, right? Do it for me. Now, if we get this witness to ID the shooters, maybe we catch our bad guys. But until then, until then, you are Mike Lowry. You be him. That's what you are. You're him. Yeah. You're him. I don't want to hear it. You're him. And you. <laughs> And he's, he's he's ripping a heater and shooting left-handed free throws, like I do. <laughs> you guys he was shooting like I shoot. He was yeah, he, he was heaving right. the ball. I loved it. <laughs> and then so you've so you've got the comedic relief buddy cop guy. You got you know two different personalities. You got the the police chief who's always mad and yelling at people. 
And then you've got some sort of a drug or murder case that requires the cops to always go either undercover or rogue from the department entirely. Always, oh, yeah. always part of the formula. Yes. Yeah, that's so true. So those those things, and it's like they can rehash that formula and just put in whoever the hot actors are at that time. In the early to mid-80s, Eddie Murphy coming off of Saturday Night Live. Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Yeah, you're right, Danny Glover. You're right. And we'll get, to, we'll get to who some of the other options were to fill these roles. Okay. But at that time, Martin Lawrence, and Martin Lawrence was in... I believe his first movie was a Spike Lee, one of the Spike Lee movies from the late '80s, early '90s. I can't remember which one, but but he was starting to take off. He had his, he had Martin, which was one of the most popular shows in the '90s, and then obviously Will Smith was one of the most popular TV characters. So like, it could have been anyone from any era. It could have been Kevin Hart if it was 20 years later, and we saw that play out. Yeah. So I think my favorite part of this was just how like it it did justice to the buddy cop formula that we have grown used to, and it's not shocking that the producers. We're very well versed in that formula. So, uh, all right. What else? What What was? Um, what were some of the things that uh, stood out to you guys? Go ahead, Declan. Why don't you go ahead? Yeah, Judd. Did you notice who played Chet, the doorman? Do you know who that was? I look so. Familiar. I knew. I knew who he was, but I didn't Google it. Who was it? So, uh, and Mackie, I'm not sure if you're caught up, but on the latest last season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, oh, that's what it was. Okay, a great okay. antagonist okay. named Mocha Joe. And that's that's, right. that's Chet. That's the same guy. And I thought that was hilarious too because I was thinking the same thing. I was like, man, this guy sounds right. and looks so familiar. And it's Mocha Joe from Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is like Larry's biggest nemesis in the latest season. Um, yeah, I, I loved all the character actors. I thought they were fantastic in it. That's right. That was Mocha Joe because I kept it. And that was a great character. That was absolutely totally. hysterical. Uh, I love, and, and this is true of a bunch of films from that time period. But I love the evolution in the 90s of the cell phone or cell phone tracking. (laughs) They they reference pagers in this movie a lot, too. Right. But I mean, like the tracking thing is, oh, and we can identify exactly where he like now it's like it pinged off a tower. Right. But then I'm glad you brought that. I love the cell phones. So they call that they call the bad guy and they cut to the they cut to the bad guy in the backseat. So the strategy is, all right, the authorities are going to call this cell phone. Yes. He's going to answer it, and then we'll be able to trace him. Right. And, of course, like, who answers an unknown number, especially when you're in that situation? You're trying to get away from the authorities, and he answers the unknown number, and they got him in that spot. I will say this. In the 90s, when I first got – so I first got my first cell phone probably late 90s, early 2000s. I used to pick up calls. Wow. Like, that's within the last 10 years probably that, like, if I don't know the number on my cell phone, I'm not going to pick up the call. In fact, isn't it I used of, to pick up my calls. I find it to be wildly irresponsible, and I and I actually like I will deduct points from you as a human if you call me from a number that you like if unless you know that I have your number and you call me and leave a voicemail. I'm oh, sorry. Like, there is why why does anybody in 2020 leave a voicemail? Is my question. It's a great question. Like you could text me. I'd rather you send. I'd rather you text me a voice memo. Then leave me a voicemail. Or just bail. Is that weird? <laughs> it's a little weird. But just it's a little weird. Just text me, hey, what's up? <laughs> Tried to call you. But like why does anybody ever leave a voicemail? Do you ever get voicemails no from people that still tell you like what day and time it is? Hey, uh, oh yeah. Hey, Judd. It's uh, Monday at about four thirty. <laughs> let me see here. Uh, four yeah, four thirty. Yeah. Oh, it's about four fifteen yep. or so. Just calling you uh, to say uh, such and such. Give me a call back. Six one two five 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 five. Yeah, six one two five 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 five. Now I got all that information when you called me. So and, but the best good. part too is we we went from 
Saved by the Bell with basically the brick Zach Morris cell phone. Yeah. So this was sort of the flip phone, but not the smaller flip phone. Phone still the bigger one where it actually had a panel that you talked into that literally flipped out. And 1995 was from like 95 through 2000 was kind of a tough period in that not everyone had cell phones. Right. So you had to sort of figure out like I didn't have one in 95. Yeah, I, I mean, I was like 10 in 95, so I didn't. I certainly didn't have one until closer to 2000. But I think, like, you had to figure out, okay, is is this person, when they're out and about, can I get a hold of them? Or do I have to, like, leave a voicemail on their home phone? Think about in 20 years how complicated or, or how, uh, how much less complicated, I guess, it has become to just get a hold of people. 20, 25, 30 years ago, they had to be home. And you could either call them or yeah. write them a letter or, like, show up to their house. Yes. But if they weren't home and you didn't know where they were, like, if you thought that they were maybe at this restaurant for dinner, you would call the restaurant and see if they could, like, track someone down in a booth. But there, you couldn't get a hold of people. Yes. If, you're, right. if, you were, if, uh, if there was an accident on the freeway and you were going to be 20 minutes late for something, like, you couldn't tell somebody up until 20, 25 years ago. Anyways. Oh, here's, here's one, too. I love this part. And it's probably – it might be a – Bruckheimer staple, but it's still fun. They were in love with blowing things up. Yes. Which was absolutely great. Like an ice cream chuck filled with ether to what? Cook the meth or something? I, I don't know. And they get to the airplane hangar and they're and then they yeah. literally just have like tanks of ether labeled ether. ether. But like <laughs> but like Jer- Jerry must have been like, all right, here's what we're gonna do. Cop buddy formulate film, but what we're going to have as our trump card to this entire film is massive explosions. Yeah, it's amazing, and, and that's that's classic Michael Bay. Like that is a, that is, is that, exactly okay. who Michael Bay is. Yeah, that, that's very on brand. And even I would say all the death scenes, every single one was so over the top. Like the the one dude getting blown up in the airplane hangar and those flying bodies on fire yeah, going right. all over the air. Like, all the deaths were extremely satisfying. You forgot your boarding pass, and then he blows yeah. the plane up. <laughs> well, think about this. So Michael Bay, Michael Bay's biggest movie was Armageddon in terms of, like, like just the promotion, the fanfare, and everything. So you think about Bad Boys. Let me look this up real quick here. So Bad Boys had, I already said this, but their budget was, like, $15 million. Let me see here. $19 million. It was mm-hmm. a $19 million budget. Mm-hmm. So in that movie, $19 million got you two of the top TV stars, some other secondary stars, all of the explosions and stunts. And, you know, it wasn't like Bad Boys was an independently right. filmed, like, you know, low-budget movie. It was a high-budget movie. $19 million budget. So Michael Bay plays out his 90s resume into, like, 1999, whenever Armageddon came out. And I just looked this up. Care to guess what Armageddon's budget was? So nineteen million. Nineteen million for Bad Boys. For bad boys. Oh, uh, I'm gonna say. I would. Yeah, go ahead, Judd. I'm gonna guess it's ridiculous. I'm. I'm gonna go. You're probably gonna overshoot now, but I'm gonna go thirty-five million dollars. Declan. Oh, I, I would say like seventy. A hundred forty million dollars. Wow. Okay. Good lord. <laughs> oh my god. And it's literally just like, all right, let's get as many celebrity actors as we can That's and true. blow as many things up as we can over the course of two hours and put as many special effects on it as we can. And then see I feel happens. like, I feel like bad boys took the blowing up of the plane. I think it was a cargo plane in speed and was like, we'll show you how to blow up a plane. Yeah. <laughs> Cause like the plane in speed is a pretty, you know, for, for that time period, it's a pretty good explosion. Yeah. But I feel like bad boys came along. What? 
four years after the fact or five years after that, and they were like, hey, here's how you blow up a plane. Yeah, we'll, we'll show you guys. We'll, we'll do it for you. you. We'll do it right here. Okay, can we talk about the main, the main plot line of this movie is that <laughs> Mike and Marcus switch places because right. the, there's this moment of panic where so, so Julie is the witness to this brutal killing. These drug lords have, have murdered her friend and this you know, drug runner guy, and she's the witness. And, and she also knows that, I believe she knows, that one of the guys that got killed was a rogue former cop. And so her level of trust is just like zero. And she knows that her friend, Maxine, is friends with Mike and used to date Mike. And so Mike is the one that she wants to talk to and that she trusts. My first beef with that is if you witness a murder, I don't know if you can be that picky about which cop you talk to. Like, I think you just yeah. want to talk to somebody who can help. And so for her to be that picky is, is number one. But how stupid is she? To not figure out until the end of this movie that those guys switched places. So Marcus is impersonating Mike. Yeah. They go back to Mike's apartment, and Marcus has no idea where the light switches are. And she's like, oh. And all the pictures are of not of Marcus. All of the pictures are of Mike. Which is hilarious in itself. (laughs) She accuses him of being gay, and these are pictures of his gay lover. And, of course, that wouldn't translate well today where he's like, I'm not gay, you know. Um, and um, uh, And then the random gal shows up, and Marcus plays it off like, Oh, it's just my stalker. Like, how does she not figure this out? It's like my biggest beef with this movie is okay. that it's a it's All a right. very very shady. This plot. is this is, I I think I speak for Declan too. A you problem, okay? <laughs> Why? Because you are looking it's lazy. But There's the got to be a better way. No, this isn't. This is an action <laughs> film that's not supposed to be well thought out. It has to be brought up though. It has well, to be brought sure, up. but but I'm but I'm saying like when. When when I tell Dex, here's what I think the film should be. This is the perfect choice with the flaws. The flaws are what make it so good. I agree. Like, like they but the, are. But I have to bring up the flaw. Okay. But if they don't. But but if it doesn't. But if it's not as as to use your term, lazy and sort of mindless. We're looking at two thirty here. Okay. They basically said we got nineteen mil. We got a couple stars. We got more ether than you can shake a stick at, <laughs> and we don't care about the storyline. We got Taya Leone, who at the time was a hot actress, seen as a big deal. So look, yes, you're right, and I'm totally on board with what they did. Sorry, Dex. All right, Dex, go ahead. Yeah, I, I just have a couple holes in the plot line too. Number one, the whole intricate tram system in the pipes of that prison like the the whole way they smuggle out all that cocaine or whatever the hell it was it was like the just basement like, of a you... police department right it was like it was yeah, like it was like where over, they had all, it was like all overnight it, yes. overnight jail stay until they figure out what to do with you yeah. yes and and they just like know the entire intricacy of this this system that can go yes. and then when you figure out it was the police secretary who was dating the guy i was like wait a minute oh we're gonna use we're gonna use the secretary as like the scapegoat By the way, and Declan? like the reason all this happened hey dex if I'm not mistaken, the secretary was Larry David's secretary who who he offends to the point where she sues him and at the end is together with Mocha Joe. That's right. That's, that's her. Right. So these are this is and I haven't seen the latest season. So basically of Curb. Cur- so basically Curb took Curb. two people from Bad Boys, which which now now that we've seen yes. it, was clearly yes. done on purpose because it's so damn funny. I didn't put that together yes. right now. The secretary yep. She 
she she's the one who thinks that Larry's friend is Harvey Weinstein and says, yeah. "You brought that disgusting man here." That's her. Oh God, yeah. So I I just had I just have a couple of plot holes, but with that, and yes, like Judd said, it's part of the the fun and the games. But I was just like, really, the police secretary, like that. That's how we're gonna figure out yeah. how these guys are bad. It's and why worth they're bringing doing up. It. It's worth bringing up. I'll g- I'll give you another one here. All right. All right. So the so they realize that a hundred million dollars in heroin and hardcore drugs have been stolen. Right. And and these guys are like undercover and they're they're bad boys, man. Like, all right, we gotta we gotta find these drugs. And their first strategy to find the drugs is for Mike to go to his ex girlfriend and see if she knows any newly rich people who have maybe like you see any like new rich people around that look like they're spending a lot of money. Right, but then she got yes, killed I by have. she got killed by I, them. I so know. it made perfect sense. It tied it all did. in. You're asking too much of these people. It's a needle in a haystack, but it, it worked out. Um so I thought that was kind of funny. Um what did you guys think of Martin Lawrence's Will Smith impression? I thought it was pretty damn good because he's he's like doing a Will Smith impression yeah. throughout the movie. Yeah, and he nailed it. Yeah, yeah he I was, good. That was pretty yeah. good. Definitely, I liked it a lot. Did, and the the apartment too, though, is great. And the, the fact that when that when the real Mike comes back. And Taya's dog is peeing on <laughs> on his carpet, and he gets really yeah. ticked off, but he can't admit that he is. And yeah. It was made, so. If, <laughs> if you combine all of the elements of this film, I mean, it's got some stooges to it, right? Like it's mm-hmm. sort of a so it's funny. It like is. it make it does it make sense? Absolutely not. But it's funny, and to me, it is. I judge this exercise partially on how mindless and easy is the watch. And this was about as easy of a watch. I mean, this this probably rivals like some like Commando as far as just the easiness of the watch. And Commando is probably the most stripped down easiest because Commando is even like 30 minutes shorter than this or something yeah. like that. But but I'm just saying but like yeah. like this was done and I had given it so little thought as to – Wow, that didn't fit, and I'm offended by it. It's also worth noting, too, that so we talked about uh, Bad Boys launching the career, really, of Michael Bay as a director. It didn't really yeah. launch Bruckheimer's career because he had already been huge in the 80s. But but it, it, you could you could make a fair case that it launched Will Smith's cinematic career. And then I don't remember, did Independence Day come out the next That's year? what I was going to ask yeah. you. Somewhere. Yes, I think it was, this came out first. The next summer, yeah. And that was it. Wild Wild West was another one that came out. Like he was, yeah. this was his wheelhouse was for later. getting into movies. When did Will Smith, as far as films go, stop playing Will Smith and just himself? I, when did it, he play Muhammad have... Ali? Well, right, because yeah. because in Bad Boys he's playing himself. Right. I, I think in Independence Day he is essentially himself. Let me find. Let me let me let me bring up some Will Smith filmography. Say, doing the same thing because because Bad he played the genie in Aladdin last year too. That's right. But bad, I mean, he went on to some great things. The number one and the sequel of it, there's like an eight-year gap. And I've, I've actually seen the second one. I, this was the first time I've seen the original from start to finish. I've seen, like, pieces. But there's definitely, yeah, I mean, like, even in the 2000s, like, he, he's still, like, his Men in Black and some other goofy stuff. But then yeah. he, like, by, by, like, Pursuit of Happiness and Seven Pounds, like, you start to see the evolution of he's more of, like, a drama actor than right. he is just, like, this goofball action yeah. hero guy. So here's his filmography. I'm just going to fly through this. So his first ever movie was Where the Day Takes You. I've never seen that. Made in America, Six Degrees of Separation, then Bad Boys was like the first big one in 1995. Independence Day, 1996, into Men in Black in 1997. And he and continued to, to play, play himself, right? Guy. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Basically playing the same character. All right. 1998, Enemy of the State, 99, Wild Wild West, 
I would argue in, in the year 2000 when he played, have you guys ever seen The Legend of Bagger Vance, the golf movie? No. I, I have I not. Have a good movie. No. Uh, he, he plays this sort of, uh, you know what you call it, he's, he's, a, he's like a wise caddy, basically. Okay. So, he's, mm. so that's the first where he's kind of playing a character of some kind. God, Ali was in 2001. That's 19 yep. years ago now. Good God. And that was fantastic, right? A really good movie. Men in Black. Then we get to the sequels in 2002. Men in Black 2, Bad Boys 2 the next year. Uh, <laughs> Time to make some money, Phil. Ride or Die, Jersey Girl, iRobot, The Seat Filler, Saving Face, Shark Tale, Hitch. He's playing Will Smith. Oh, That's a great movie. Hitch, Hitch is fun. We got to do some rom com reviews. Hitch is I, I think a fun in, movie. in February we adopt Action Movie Rewind to rom com re- rewind. Actually, before, J- before Judd we... brought up a good idea that we keep Action Movie Rewind, but once a month we deviate from action movies and go into other things. Sports okay. movie. And it can I be, like it's, it. it's like a wild card. What's so become we, of Kevin sure. James? Kevin James, oh. he's still doing, is he still doing Paul Blart movies? <laughs> Mall uh, I don't know. Yeah. And he's like got this own YouTube series where he like, he puts himself in the scene of like very serious films and he's called like the sound guy. I've seen this on like Facebook <laughs> and other, it's like, so like it's very poignant scenes. Like there's one in the Joker he just did where he's like, he, it's this very intense scene and he's like pretending to be the boom guy. It's called, I think Kevin James boom guy. Okay. And he like pretends he's in the movie with other people. He even did That's I am legend funny. too with, with Will Smith. It's pretty funny. Uh, Will Smith is also in Anchorman 2. I forgot about that. He made a cameo yeah, in Anchorman never 2. Never saw Anchorman 2. And, and my favorite my favorite Will Smith movie is probably I Am Legend. I just It's Same. kind of a dark movie, but I like oh, it. It's so good. 2007 so was a good movie. But, I mean, he did start to become a really accomplished, dramatic actor at some point. Yeah. And he's been, I mean, he's just been good for, like, one blockbuster a year, basically. He just signs up for, like, one blockbuster a year for the better part of 25 years. Um, what else? Before we get to some, I've got some fun facts here. A couple fun facts from the movie here. Do you guys have anything else from the actual movie before we get to some of these other categories? Where, where does for both of you? Where does Miami rank as far as as shooting um, <laughs> locations? It's great. I love it. I mean, it, it also has kind of a drug lord feel to it because what happened oh, in yeah. like, the cocaine cowboys era. It does. Yeah. So I think it's a. I mean, Scarface. Scarface was in Miami. Like right? I think it's a lot of fun too because it's scenic and it's 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 um, it feels brighter and and glitzier you, than traditional like Los Angeles as a location. It feels brighter and glitzier on the surface, but you know that there's a dark underbelly. Oh, to it. absolutely. But like the scenic views are better, I think. Yeah, yeah like pre-COVID, it. Miami was on my 2020 list to get to. Like, I, was, I really okay. wanted to go to Miami, and I still haven't gone. But I've been to Florida numerous times. But yeah, it, it definitely works really well. Don't don't start going down there and doing a bunch of drugs and trying to come back. Nah, I, 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 don't, I don't like those. Don't, you know what? You don't got to worry about that because I don't like those drugs. So it's, still, it's totally okay. <laughs> All <laughs> right. <laughs> my little friend. So fun facts from the film here. Yep. Did you Have you guys looked up – this is from Wikipedia. Have you Have you guys looked up which two – prominent actors nope. they had okay who would you get i'll give you guys a few guesses who would you guess this is 1995 who would you guess in the film's early stages of development simpson and bruckheimer initially envisioned blank and blank in the roles who would you guess those are eddie murphy one i will chime in it, it was two white guys oh wow okay, okay. I'll, I'll go bruce willis that's a good guess that's a really good guess correct I swear, uh, if it's if it's Nick if Nick Cage is one of these people, I'm going to jump through the window. You're thinking you're you're sort of down the wrong path with both of those guys. Okay, Are we talking okay. at the time younger, up and coming stars or mm, not up? I wouldn't say they were up and coming. One of them for sure was not up and coming. John Cusack. 
Nope. That's a good one. Wow. No. He was because, in No, but I mean, he he would translate. He yeah. translate yeah. well because he he's good at the one-liners. I think Saturday Night Live. Oh. Like Sandler? Nope. Okay. Wait, okay. hold on a second. Um, so this the, was midnight. Like David Spade? You're getting really close not, here. Not Phil Far- Hart. Not Phil Hart. Man. No, Farley. You're, you're dancing around it. Farley? Not Farley, but that'd be hilarious. <laughs> Can you God, imagine Farley in those cars? <laughs> God. Back at that time, Farley trying what, to fit in those cars. What, I don't know. It's, it, I mean, I don't know if you guys are going to get these. No. This, I, I right. Dana Carvey. Wow. I mean, he was in Wayne's World was huge in the early nineties. Sure. Dana Carvey sure. and John sense. Lovitz. Oh my no! <laughs> no, no, yes. oh, dude. Dana Carvey and John Lovitz, and then another prominent star at this time oh. turned down the role of Mike Lowry, and cites that this choice of turning down the role was the worst mistake he ever made in his career. Arsenio wow. Hall turned down the role. Oh, oh yeah, you know what? I I could see that one. Yeah, that makes. I mean, he had a sense. huge talk show Boy, at the time. Wait, can we yeah. can we backtrack for a second? Carvey, okay. John Lovitz? Yeah, could, it's hilarious. Yeah, the critic? I don't know. The critic? No. no. <laughs> From the cartoon? No, 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 John dude. Lovitz? It is, it is weird. Like, yeah. how would John Lovitz, the only role in that film that any sane casting person would have gone to him with is the captain? Yeah, he could play the captain. I was about to say like the, the same thing. Like the disheveled, smoking. Yeah, but, but, but he doesn't play like, the. he could, but the, the captain to me... John Lovitz is sort of like a weird, creepy comedian, right? He's just kind of got that... He's always hey, kind of giving you the side eye kind of yeah, a thing, yes, right? Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Just, no, but I'm saying the only role that I could see. I'm not saying that's a good mm-hmm. choice. I'm just saying to cast John, to attempt to cast him as one of the main people. <laughs> Can you imagine if, if Dana Carvey and John Lovett did this movie? Oh, my God. I think it would have sucked. Oh, for sure. Sucked. Like, I, mean, I think it would have been, been awful. Bomb. And Will Smith is this, bomb. like, multi-generate. Like, Will Smith has been, over two generations, one of the biggest stars in Hollywood and pop culture. Dana Carvey and John Levitz were funny as like bit pieces on SNL. I al- I also think that n- not uh, TV wise, but I also think film wise, boys. By that point in time, right then, Dana Carvey had probably been typecast as the Wayne's World character Garth. Yeah, L- like if right. I like if I saw him in Bad Boys on the big screen, it wouldn't have made sense. My first thought would have been that's Garth. Yeah, it went to made went to made sense. Like, Actually, how okay. can he be a cop? Wayne's World, but for bad boys, huh? Yeah, think about it. Michael I mean, Myers. I, I could see Carvey playing like the goofball cop. Like, I, th- there's definitely something there. But if it was, if it was with with the critic John Lovett, that would have been an absolute disaster. I'm with Dex on this totally. disaster movie. Okay, the other disaster. fun fact Ooh. here, aside from Tay Leone's longtime husband being David Duchovny from Sorry, the I spoiled that. No, it's good. Spoil that. I just remembered it. Director Michael Bay did not like the script and often engaged Will Smith and Martin Lawrence in discussions about how the dialogue and scenes could improve. He often allowed them to improvise while the cameras were rolling. So that Skittles line, all okay. of that stuff, that was all improvised. I'm going to play a couple other clips here just for fun. Now, I got a shirt open. You, you, you see Mike, he half butt naked. Then you, then you see the white girl. So I'm telling you, ain't nobody doing none of that. It's not what it looks like, okay? Uh, hear, hear what I'm saying? Baby, she's a material witness. That's, that's real. No. Baby, Teresa, listen, that ain't, it was ordered. Listen, it was ordered. Man, what is this having a picnic in my car, man? Please, man. I'm not getting my sex at home. Don't, don't deny me this. What are you talking about? You sleep with a beautiful woman every night. I'm mad. That's what married means. It means you sleep together, but you can't get none. So a lot, a lot of that stuff was unscripted and them just sort of riffing back and forth. 
I, I would argue that the dialogue in this film, which was really good, I would argue that it, it was as close to what um, Lethal Weapon got from Glover and Gibson yeah. as you can get. Like, it felt like the cadences, the I'm too old for this bleep or I'm not get, getting sex at home. It felt very similar, but in a good way. Yeah, it did. And, it, and now that I think back to Lethal Weapon, it felt like a lot of that was improv, too. I think guys. it was. And it's funny that we bring up Curb Your Enthusiasm because Curb Your Enthusiasm is like 100% improv. It's just, all right. So in this scene, um, Larry is going to a Dodgers game with a prostitute. Uh, yes. So go ahead. That they basically turn the mics on and be like, just go. Yeah, we got to get from here to here over the next three minutes. So you guys do it however you want to. That's some talent. Um, all right. Definitive bad guy rankings here. And I think the bad guy is just like the French drug lord. Yeah. Right? And, and can I give you my least favorite part first before this? Sure. And now this is not, again, it's not a... F- a fly in the ointment here because it just is what it is. But my least favorite part, and action scene wise, it's almost like they had their 19 mil and they they were at 18.7 and they're like, we can't do much more, boys. The budget is going to run out soon. It's the end scene with the bad guy and that sort of race where they force the bad guy to crash his sports car. And it just sort of crashes, and he gets out and eventually gets shot. Mike, step off. Do it. Do it! He's a joke. (laughs) He's a joke. I have to tell you, I love you, man. Yeah, you know you always be getting emotional after gunfights. Okay, first of all, lethal weapon end scene on Danny Glover's lawn. It's the same thing. Guy, bad guy last second, still got a gun. Guy sees him, holsters his gun, come bang, bang, bang. But the whole scene itself that he crashed his car, it's like, that car has to blow up. Like yeah. he's got to go into smithereens. Dead. He's got to be yeah. that 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 car uh, has has to hit a fuel truck or it, something. It's part of the buddy cop formula. There always has to be like some rogue. But anyway, that's my bad guy. I wanted that guy to blow up partially because they had blown everything up. No, it's not as by it's that not as point. personal. You can't the, the guy the guy has to die. And it would have, have led to the great the line. Well, he's well done. <laughs> That's the line that you wanted to use? Or? Well, just something like that. Just blow them up. <laughs> I'm telling you, they were at $18.75 million spent, and Bay and Bruckheimer were like, ah, we're going to have to crash that car. We, Sorry. We can't have any more explosions here. So, all right, so the way that he died uh, aside here, the French drug lord from Bad Boys, where does he rank? These are the, def- the definitive bad guy ranking to this point in Action Movie Rewind. Hans Gruber from Die Hard is number one. Cyrus the Virus from Con Air is number two. Brad Wesley from Roadhouse, Cobra Kai from Karate Kid, Mr. Joshua from Lethal Weapon, Ivan Drago from Rocky Four, and uh, those are your top six. The bottom six from bottom going up, the incompetent Russian military is the worst that we've reviewed from Rambo 3, the muggers from Death Wish, Gans and Billy Bear from 48 Hours, Sloan from Wanted, General Humble from The Rock, and Bennett from Commando. So where would you guys rank the French drug lord. I think the the criteria here is 
Is it an iconic bad guy in this case? No, the movie's less about the bad guy, it's more about, about the, the relationship here. Um, and then, like, what what kind of what kind of effect did they have on the movie? For different reasons, I'm going to put them right by, and I, I don't care if they're above or below, um, Billy Bear and the other bad guy from 48 Hours. Because, like, first of all, he dies. It's sort of boring. Second of all, he's not really a good bad guy. Yeah. And, and again, I don't he's care. And I don't care. But, I mean, he can't. I think it's the same thing where it's just this, it's this, we we need a bad guy. And that guy probably made like 12 bucks. Like his role was not that important. He just sort of yeah, they, smirked at times. They spent all their money on other Yeah, yeah other which, they, things which by the way, they should have, have done. But I'm going to put him down there cause, just because I don't think the bad guy in this film was really that important. I'm going to put him uh, right in the same area here. I think I think just collectively, you know, and Declan wasn't here for Gans and Billy Bear last week. Those guys were, it's just... There wasn't. Oh, that was for forty eight hours. I'm sorry. Yeah, Dex was here, um, for, Dex that. here for that. And they were. I'm, that, I'm yeah. mixing up the muggers from Death Wish. I liked Gans more. I, I would. I would actually put the French drug lord from Bad Boys probably third from the bottom, which puts him right between the muggers from Death Wish and Gans and Billy Bear, somewhere in there. Definitely not memorable, and certainly not like anywhere near the top. But doesn't. But that's fine. Like that's the role. It doesn't. Unlike some of these, where to me the like the bad guy ruins the movie a little bit for some of these. It doesn't ruin the movie at all. Like, the bad guys well, played the role that they were supposed to play. I think the smart yeah. thing here is the bad guys probably weren't paid much uh, to act. And so, yeah. and but but the good thing was they didn't then go to them and be like, well, we need this or, or that. It was sort of like that they said, you're going to get $12 and free lunch for two weeks. <laughs> right. Which is fine. <laughs> right. Dex, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I would I would probably have them in the bottom five. Like, I'd put them around Sloan from Wanted or, or somewhere around there just because... They didn't really do. It. I mean, you know, they had a pretty mercifully killing in that early part when they killed her friend and and whatnot. So like, there was some violence from them, but in general, they weren't like conniving or menacing. They're they're in the bottom of the yeah. of, of the tier. So that brings us to the overall one through ten Seagull ranking system here. The uh, the rankings of our action movie rewinds to this point. Die Hard is the only ten across the board. That's our number one movie. John Wick, Commando, all above a nine. The Fast and the Furious and The Expendables at 8.8, composite rating. Roadhouse and Hard to Kill at 8.5. Rocky Four, Independence Day, and Point Break all above an 8. At the bottom, we've got Bloodsport, Wanted, Rambo 3, Air Force 1, and 48 Hours. So on a 1 to 10 scale, how many Seagulls would you give this one? Judge Zelgan. I'm going to give it uh, eight Seagulls. Very solid. Oh, wow. Very, very solid. Uh, quick watch. Passed a lot of the tests that I put for these films as far as do I enjoy it or not. Is it a classic? Probably not. But it's damn good. The good guys are good. A very solid eight for me. Dex? I would give it a solid seven. Um, I think it's a, a really just good movie overall. And even though I would actually argue there there is a lapse in action from like the time the friend gets killed to like for like 45 minutes. So there's just like, you're building up the storyline of them switching roles, but the deaths are really satisfying. The dialogue is great. I don't know if it like hits all out of the park. I don't know if anything really hits out of the park. I should say with like our action criteria, but in general, it's a good movie. So I would say it's a seven out of 10. Okay. I'm actually the highest on this. I have it at a nine. Yeah, I think it was, it's, solid. It was it's, very solid, man. It's excellent. I'm not going to know. No criticism. And I think for a certain generation, you know, I, I actually think it is sort of iconic and it is it does represent 
the mid-90s for a lot of people. Do you know what they do that's absolutely key and gets points? If you ever shoot a fish tank, you get points from me. <laughs> and I believe in the club they shoot a fish tank, right? He, he's, he, when, he, when he comes through there from the bathroom, I believe that's a fish tank. It might not be shot out, but he's thrown through it. Okay. I love that. Okay. I know some fish died, but that's okay. Sorry, <laughs> so, Peter. So an, an eight, a nine, and a seven means an average score of eight for us, which puts it in the top ten of action movies that we have reviewed to this point here. There you go, Dad. So sure. Great choice. Yeah. It puts it right there with Independence Day and Point Break, right below Rocky Four, Hard to Kill, and Roadhouse. So that's good stuff. That was that was that was very enjoyable. It's my turn to pick this week, correct? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So. I have like five or six movies that I, I have a big list of like 20 and I've got five or six at the top that I'm going back and forth on some of these. One of them is an iconic movie from the mid nineties. That's it, it, it. It's well over two hours. Shockingly, it's like two hours and 20 minutes. So I'll save that one for later. Okay. And I'm going to take a theme from early in the week. So I saw my first star Wars movie and we commented on the character of Han Solo and how Han Solo compares very much. Oh, Nice. To Indiana Jones. Okay. Oh, hell yeah. And so I want to be careful about violating the, the, the spirit of Action Movie Rewind in that we don't want to just pick great movies and not be able to sort of poke fun at them. Well, Raiders of the Lost Ark is a legitimately great movie. The first Indiana Jones movie is just excellent, up and down. All right. Then they get corny with Temple of Doom as the second Indiana Jones movie. And so we are going to review... One of my favorite guilty pleasure movies of all time, and one of the corny action movies of the 1980s, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, for next Love week's it. action movie rewind, and it fall, it's under two hours. Never seen it. Oh, wow. I have never seen an Indiana Jones what? film. Never what? seen one. I, no, really? I've never, I'll say it. I've, again, I've never seen an Indiana Jones film. Oh, my goodness. But now okay. I will. Right. Okay, hold on. I'm trying to think of the, Declan, have you ever seen an Indiana Jones movie? Yeah, I've seen them all. Okay. So, I'm trying to think if there's any setup needed for Judd here, so... Raiders of the Lost Ark is definitely a must-watch in terms of just, like, great, iconic movies. Yeah. Um, I don't think you need to see that in order to get Temple of Doom, though. Just know that, like, Indiana Jones is an archaeologist who's got some uh, fighting skills. Yeah. I'll fight. I'll work through it, yes. Okay. It's good to look at it. And if you need to read some background on it, you oh, can read Oh, I can absolutely <laughs> do that as the film goes. Oh, one, yeah, here it is, 158, too. Just under yeah, two fine. hours. That's there. fine. There's also like, like a ten minute opening credit scene of like. Oh, music I can fast forward. Stuff, so. No, that's perfect. No, you need to watch the opening credit scene because it is important. Okay. For the rest of the very movie. important. So don't fast forward. Like in fact, the opening credit scene basically sets the rest of the movie up. Oh, okay. All right. Good to know. So thank you. Um, so there it is. That's uh, that's action movie rewind here on Mackie and Judd. And another quick reminder that Vikings Vent Line is back on Sunday. Score North Twitter and Facebook. And also YouTube.com slash Purple Daily Podcast right after the Vikings-Packers game is over. All right, boys. Enjoy your weekend. See ya. So, oh, I'll take me, you, me, and you off the damn cliff. Keep messing with me. Yeah. All right? Then it'll be what? Two bitches in the sea, huh? Is that it? Is that what you want? Shut up, Mark. Yeah. I'm a bad boy. Bad boys, bad boys. What, what you, you gonna, gonna do? do? What you gonna do? It ain't gonna This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. 
Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. 